Thank you for that powerful sermon and song and wonderful time of worship. What a joy it is to be back with you again. We were here last October and we fell in love with you and we want to thank you, Rita and I, for you receiving us as you have. And Pastor Hunt, I want to thank you personally for this honor to preach in your pulpit again, to be alongside a dear friend of many years, Brother Malcolm Ellis. Good to see he and his wife Nancy this morning. I tell you what, I I just uh, excited about having Rita with me. I appreciate the introduction, but you left out the best part. Rita and I have been married 39 years. I've been married to the same woman 39 years. Amen? And I praise God for that. I certainly do. By the way, your pastor preached at my pastor's appreciation conference back in December, and he brought the house down. We had probably 140 preachers, men there, and Piney Woods Baptist Encampment, and you'd be very proud of your pastor. Well, this is the first Sunday of the year. I'm honored to start off your Focus 2018 Bible Conference. I trust that everyone had a wonderful holiday season, celebrated Christ and Christmas with family and friends. I also trust you didn't fall prey uh, to uh, receiving a card from a lady that I heard about. She was very, actually she was very grouchy during the holiday season. She had given up on it. She said her family never appreciated her going shopping, buying all the gifts. She decided she wouldn't shop at all this past year. Instead, she'd just send her family and her closest friends a card some money. They could buy their own gift. She mailed them off early in December. And come Christmas Day, she was incensed because she had not received the first response of appreciation or gratitude from any of her family or any of her friends. And I mean, she really, really got bent out of shape. And it was just last week she was in her bedroom at her desk going through all of her papers and shuffling things around. Picked up a newspaper and there was a stack of checks. She had mailed all the cards, forgot to put the checks in them. Can you imagine receiving a Christmas card from her? Merry Christmas, buy your own gift this year. I hope you didn't fall prey to that. Well, I was over next to you last week at Pine Forest Baptist Church, Brother Otis Gerald, here this week, and I've noticed uh, through the holidays I gained a few pounds. Am I the only one, or anybody want to confess that you gained a few pounds during the holidays? My uh, suits, Brother Hunter, are a little more snug than they usually are, and I heard about this lady, she gained a few pounds during the holidays and she had a resolution. She went to the local gym and she enrolled in an exercising class and got everything squared away and on her way out she 
looked back over his shoulder and asked the instructor, said, by the way, what do you wear at these exercising classes? The instructor said, well, you just need to wear some loose clothes. She said, loose clothes, if I had any of those, I wouldn't be signed up for this exercising class. I can identify with that this morning. Let's look in our Bibles today. Great crowd for the AM early service. The book of Luke chapter 24. Luke's gospel chapter number 24. I feel led today to share with you what I consider a signature sermon of our ministry, of my life in the ministry, especially early on in this 17-year run of full-time evangelism. There was a time when I was running from God and tried to quit the ministry. Things were going so well early on in the 90s at First Baptist Church. I had Brother Malcolm and a couple revivals back then. We built a family life center within a year while I became pastor and we had the dedication began the dedication with the revival services with Brother Malcolm we had 20, 25 saved that week and five, six hundred, seven hundred people on that dedication day it was just a, a great affair and God was really blessing and did so for several years there at a place that relatively you wouldn't think small little community at St. Augustine, but God was moving mightily. And then the Lord began to deal with me about going into full-time evangelism. Have you ever said no to the Lord? You ever been to God's woodshed? It's not a pleasant experience, is it? And so I want us to talk today on a message the Lord gave me when I finally said yes to him in the year 2000. And I want to publicly thank Rita for being with me all the way. As a matter of fact, she knew me at my lowest. And she knew that I was trying to get out of the ministry. Pastor mentioned since I was the age of 14, that's all I've ever known. My wife had the spiritual fortitude to call a mentor friend of mine, Brother James Kemp. Brother James Kemp was the second person, second man at Baptist Tabernacle under Dr. Jimmy Tharp for many, many years. He was my mentor. He got me in church when I was 14. He was a soul winner, came by our house, witnessed to me. But my wife knew that I needed Brother Kemp to set me straight. The Lord, if the Lord would use anyone, he would use Brother Kemp. And we met many miles. We were apart. We drove and met in a little greasy spoon cafe and Mansfield, Louisiana, and God got a hold of my heart, and I want to publicly thank my wife for never giving up on me. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13, you recognize, you Bible students today, this is, of course, the resurrection of Christ afterwards, and behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, or seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass while they communed together and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk? And why are you sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered, said unto him, 
Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And I find this interesting. Jesus, being omniscient, he said unto them, What things? As if he didn't know. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all of this, today's the third day since these things were done. Let's notice for the sake of time, verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village where they went, and I find this interesting also. Jesus tried to fake them out. He made as though he would go a little further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. That's exactly what Jesus wanted, them to invite him over to their house, to sit down at their table. Verse number 30, this is our message text. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and poof, their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Hmm. I'm going to ask you to participate with me in the message this morning, if you will. I want to talk to you on this subject, God's order of breaking bread. What do you do when all of your dreams in life have been drowned by your tears? What do you do when all of your hopes seemingly are being held hostage in life? No one needs to look any further than these two disciples. Bible scholars, for the most part, agree this was Cleophas and his wife. They were returning from Jerusalem. Seven long miles, they were in a saddened stupor as they communed together, reminiscing and recalling what they had just witnessed. I want us to look at three things. The first two thoughts I'm not going to spend but a moment. But then we're going to camp out for the finishing of the message on the third thought. I want you to think with me about these two disciples returning from Jerusalem. Number one, they were blinded by their predicament. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus showed up, but yet they could not recognize that it was Jesus, for their eyes were holding. They were blind. But I want us to think about how they were blinded by their predicament. Number one, they were blinded by their pain. Anybody in the house today ever been blinded by the pain that this world so often affords us? You see, they had been to Jerusalem. For three and a half years, they had sold everything out to follow Jesus. He was their hope. They had left their family, their friends, their fortune, their fate. They had left their fame, their fitness to follow the master for three and a half years. He is all they had. He was all they needed. 
But now in Jerusalem, they stood there as they stretched him high. They witnessed as they stretched him wide. Their hope was now gone. Dead on the cross. Placed in a tomb. They're returning back home. Blinded by their pain. Somebody think about it this morning. How often in life have we been blinded by the pain? Perhaps it's been disappointment, discouragement, discontentment, despair. But maybe it's been disease or death or disaster or devastation or drugs of a family member. We all face times in our life as God's children when we're blinded by pain. But not only were they blinded by the pain, but they were also blinded by their perception. You see, they had a misunderstanding why Jesus came in the first place. They even said, as we read to Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus, but we trusted it would have been he who would have delivered us from Roman rule. They had a misunderstanding. Anybody in the house ever had a misunderstanding why God does things the way that he does in our life? Come on now, let's be honest today. James Dobson has a book out, When God Does Not Make Sense. And so they could not understand. They were blinded by their perception. But now let me go to number two quickly. Not only were they blinded by their predicament, but number two, they were blessed by their position. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well... I read in my Bible, as you did, as they were walking back home in that discouraging stupor, that all of a sudden Jesus drew near to them. How many of the house understand that when Jesus draws near, it's always a good thing? It's always a blessing when Jesus shows up. As a matter of fact, Jesus shows up and we don't often see him, but he's always there. Somebody asked me the other day, Brother Hunt, doesn't the Lord, doesn't the Lord get us out of all these trouble? The Lord didn't come to get us out of a problem. The Lord came to get in a problem with us. And so the Lord shows up. They don't recognize it's him. But I like this seven miles, the Lord begins to preach to them a sermon. Now, brother, you're in far better shape than I am. But let's just say that you walk a 20-minute walk, a 20-minute mile. Seven miles, that's two-and-a-half-hour sermon. Most of us couldn't handle Jesus preaching to us, amen? Two-and-a-half hours, he preached to them. And the Bible says, beginning with Moses, he preached unto them the prophets concerning himself. Now, that's leading me up to my third thought. And this is where God got all over me. And I pray that he'll get all over us today. They were blinded by their predicament. Their hope was gone. They had no reason to live anymore. Number two, but they were blessed by their position. Jesus showed up. 
How many know in the house he always shows up? When you least expect it, he's there. When you have no hope, rhyme, or reason, he comes. When you think it's all crumbling and falling apart, hallelujah, he shows up. But number three, when he arrived at their house and sat down at their table, number three, he broke them off a piece. He broke them off a piece. Here's where I need your help. I find this very intriguing. These peculiar table mannerisms of our Lord. Each time he sat down at the table, he always went through this identical order of breaking bread. Now, look at it again, verse number 30. He does four things. I want you to help me out audibly here. I want you to be able to retain this today. He did four things in verse number 30 when he sat down at their table. You understand they still do not recognize that it is Jesus. They think he's a stranger. They've enjoyed their conversation. They invited him to their home to get a fresh start in the morning. And he sits down and he does four things. Number one, he takes the bread. Do you see that? He took it. Number two, he blessed it. Number three, he broke it. And number four, he gave it. Here's the order. He took it, he blessed it, and then he broke it. But after he broke it, he gave it. Now let me verify this order. Let's not just take this one instance. But turn, if you will, in your Bible back a couple of chapters to Luke 22, verse number 19. Luke 22, verse number 19. Let's look at it again. Are you there? Luke 22, verse number 19. Four things when he sat down at the table. First of all, he did what? He took it. Number two, he blessed it. Number three, he broke it. Number four, he gave it. All right, Matthew 26, verse 26. Matthew 26, verse 26, it says that he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Now, if you were to go back to Matthew 14, verse number 19, you remember that miracle that Jesus took the little lad's lunch of a few hush puppies and sardines? You remember that? Verse number 19, Matthew 14, it says that he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. I think somebody's hearing me this morning. How many of you know that after he breaks you, he gives you far more after you're broken than he ever blessed you with before you got broken? Amen. God's order of breaking bread. Any person that wants to be effectively used of God must go through God's order of breaking bread. Now, for the sake of time, I'll just use a few. But if you choose any Bible 
man or woman character that was used of God, I can show you where they went through the order. Jesus began with Moses. Can I just start right there? God took Moses. That decree went out by Pharaoh. I'd say that God took him, set him sail as a babe child down the river Nile. God took him. And then I'd say that God blessed him, raised him up in the house of Pharaoh, became second in command of all of Egypt under Pharaoh, was tutored and taught by Pharaoh. God was blessing him. But he wasn't ready to be used effectively by God. God's plan for his life could not yet be fulfilled. He had to go through the order. What happened to him? He slew an Egyptian, fled for his life, went out into the wilderness, and spent 40 years fetching water for the women and taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. What was God doing to Moses? Breaking him. But when he got broken... Oh, listen to me. There on that mountain, the voice of God, boy, take off them shoes. You're on holy ground. You go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. God gave him the nation of Israel. He went through the order. Well, what about David? <laughs> We're all familiar with him. He had to go through the order. What's the order? God takes us, blesses us, breaks us, and then gives us. He took David. Samuel, the man of God, came to the house of Jesse, said, Jesse, your son's going to be the next anointed king of Israel. I wonder what went through that proud father's heart. Jesse begins to strut his tall, olive-skinned, brown-eyed, handsome warrior young men one by one by Samuel. Not this one, not this one, no. Not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. Hey, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, I got one little freckle-faced redhead boy out there. Not him. He's, he's the furthest thing from a warrior. Well, go get him. Aren't you glad God uses those whom we least expect can be used of the Lord? God took him. Do you believe that? And then I'd say God blessed him. Wasn't it David there in the valley of Eli who faced the then heavyweight champion of the world and said not by sword or spirit or not by shield or not even by stone? but by the spoken word of God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll feed your carcass to the fowls of the air. God blessed him, didn't he? But he had to go through the order. What happened then? King Saul was on his trail. David was in fear of his life. David began to flee and to run from village to village, place to place, and ultimately the man who was supposed to be in a palace is found in a cave. What was God doing to David in that cave? Breaking him. Whew. 
But once he got broken, God gave him. He always gives more than he ever blessed you before he broke you. David became arguably the greatest king Israel's ever known. You say, well, preacher, that's the Old Testament. What about the New? Anybody ever heard of Saul who became Paul? On the road to Damascus, that Damascus turnpike, God took him. Jesus struck him down. And then I'd say that God blessed him, gave us over half of the New Testament. The only person I ever knew or read about that had the ability to preach his way into prison and pray his way right out, turned every street corner into a pulpit, every living room into a chapel, the greatest missionary this side of Jesus. I say that God blessed him. But he had to go through the order, brother. He had to be broken. You read the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians, number 11. He went through peril, persecution, problems. He went through darkness, distress, death at the point of. Three times he prayed that God would remove the thorn from his flesh. But each time God said, my grace is sufficient, God was breaking him. But when he got through the season of brokenness, Paul in his last moments in that dungeon was able to testify, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the course, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. God gave him. One more example. Talking about going through the order of breaking bread. What about Jesus? God took him. Amen. God took him. Dropped him out of the portals of heaven into a little obscure village called Bethlehem. God took him. Then I'd say God blessed him. Age of 12, he was astonishing the scholars. The age of 30, John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan, and the windows of heaven opened up, and the voice of God was heard, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And for the next three and a half years, Luke surmised his life with this one sentence, Jesus of Nazareth, who went around doing good. God blessed him. But one day, on a hill far away, Jesus had to go through that order. God broke him. He broke him for you and I. There they beat him. Beyond recognition, placed the beam upon his bruised, blood-battered back as he bore it down the Via Della Rosa. There on Golgotha, they raised him, suspended him between a holy God and sinful man. Seven short sayings Jesus uttered those six hours. He said, I thirst. How many of you 
know today that's when he was quenching ours. He said, it is finished. That's when our life got started. And he bowed his head in the locks of his shoulders, and he died. Don't ever let a liberal professor tell you otherwise. He didn't go comatose. He died. Friday, Saturday passed by. Don't you know the devil was delighted? The demons were dancing. As the women's were distraught at the tomb each morning, the disciples had become discouraged and were gone. But all of a sudden, on Sunday morning, the earth began to rock and the stone began to roll. And up from the grave, he arose. God gave him. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Brokenness. The Bible speaks of several tables. Table of rejoicing. The table of repentance. Psalms 23, the table of restoration. But here in Luke 24, it's the table of revelation. God reveals his order for every one of us. God took me. There were no preachers in our family. Our family, they were out of church. My mom had died when I was nine and daddy remarried. As I said, a soul winner came by. God took me. It was in his plans. And then God blessed me. High school years while still trying to play ball. 77 revivals. There's only 52 weeks in a year. Two years. I didn't have driver's license. My stepmother and dad bought me a Honda 100 CB100 bicycle and turned me loose all over the state of Arkansas. I turned 16, I got old wore out Volkswagen station wagon. God was blessing. Before I ever entered the first day into college or seminary, right out of high school in June, I became pastor of a full-time church, 18 years old. What do you know when you're 18? You think you know everything, but you know very little. God was blessing. Two months later, Rita and I were married. I was a ball player. That was my aspiration. Louisiana Tech was already looking at me. My best friend went on and played and set records and went on and pitched for the Rangers, Mike Jeffcoat. God called me to preach. My pastor said, Jimmy, you've got to decide. Are you going to preach or are you going to play ball? Now, looking back over that, I know you can do both, but at the time, I said, well, Brother Floyd, I'm going to preach. That's what I chose to do. Rita came in one day. She said, Jimmy, we're going to have a baby. <laughs> My, I'm, a, I'm elated, of course. 
my first thoughts, I said, Lord, please don't let it be a preemie baby. You'll get that on the way out. Had church members counting on their fingers, I'm sure. Eleven months after we were married, we had our baby. But for that entire pregnancy, I negotiated with God. I said, God, you bless me. But Lord, you remember I, 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 I quit playing ball and started preaching for you. And look what we've done together, God. You see, I didn't know what humility and brokenness was then. Look what we've done together, God. God, the least you could do, you wouldn't let me play ball. The least you could do, Lord, is give me a son that I could live out my aspirations in his life. That was before sonogram and ultrasound. Nine months went by. I'm there in the hospital, church members, family lying down the hall. I have my ear perched up against the delivery chamber's door. I hear a baby scream, cry. Wasn't long, the door opened, a nurse holding there, and she said, congratulations, Brother Moss. You're now the proud father of a brand-new, bunctious baby boy. I lifted my head as toward the heavens, and I said, thank you, God, for answering my prayer. And then my second gaze was down upon my son, only to notice that everything was all right with the exception that he was missing all of his fingers on both hands except his index finger and his thumb. He had contrition bands that cut the growth off. He had them around his legs. He was missing a big toe. It was as if God only marked him. He could do everything but play baseball. I'll be honest with you, I became very bitter at God. Why would God do that? I had to go through the order of brokenness. Can I just come to a close? God had to get me to where he could use me effectively. I learned this. Until you get to the place in your spiritual life where all you have is Jesus, it will be only then you discover that he is all you need. And I learned this, that pride, proud people keep others at arm's length, but broken people, they take the wrist and start trying to develop relationships and live for others. And God had to break me. It took a while, but I repented. And I want you to know, Rita can testify, that little boy who couldn't hold a glove, who couldn't hold a bat, Coaches began to work with him in T-ball. They got him a kangaroo hide glove where it would close on its own. He played second base all the way up because he couldn't grip the ball. Without choking it, he had no velocity of throwing. But in, as a junior in high school, he made first team all district at St. Augustine High. God gave me that son, and more. 
what I thought was tragedy. I since discovered it's become commonplace. But we dealt with that son. He went down a rebellious state. Those were dark hours. Those were times when I'd reach over and my wife's pillow was wet with tears. But even when we couldn't see the Lord, he was still there with us. And God got us through. It wasn't so much my faith. My wife never gave up. She kept bombarding the throne of God on behalf of our son. And I can testify and say hallelujah after we stepped out on faith. God saved my son and called him to preach. And he's pastoring now today, 17 years later. Every one of us must go through the order of breaking bread. Not only individuals, but listen to me. Every church must go through the order. God took this church, Willow Hills Baptist. You believe that, don't you? This church was birthed in the hearts of some folks. God birthed it. She had her beginnings. God took it. And then who would testify that God blessed it? But how many of you know I'm foolish to believe the greater days of Willow Hills are ahead of you. Y'all believe that this morning? Do y'all believe that this morning? But to get there, one must have to be broken. And you know, the best advice I've ever received it's much easier for you of your own volition to come broken before God than for God to take care of the issue at hand. We're going to have an invitation. Your pastor asked me to extend one. How many of you really believe that the best days of Willow Hills are ahead of you? How many of you desire that? Would you come to this altar? You say, what is being broken? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not surrendering. It's not surrendering your rights. Because you and I don't have any rights. Every one of us deserve hell, amen? I don't deserve my family that God's blessed me with. I don't deserve preaching on the same platform as the great Malcolm Ellis. I don't deserve six grandchildren that we watched games all morning and afternoon and didn't leave the gym until 6.30 yesterday evening all day long. I don't deserve. But brokenness is saying, God, 
I don't surrender my rights. I don't have anything. But God, I want all of you. God, I want you to be control of all that I have. I recognize my possessions, my, my prosperity, my health, my family. It's all yours. Who would come this morning right now, very quickly, as we begin to play instruments, you stand and you come. Some of you are having individual affairs right now. God's dealing with you. How about right now? Saying, God, I want to get through that order of brokenness because, God, I know you'll give me. You'll give me more than I've ever had. I'm not talking about wealth and prosperity necessarily. I'm talking about the fullness of life. I still have to be broken every day. It's brokenness that keeps us humble. Let's stand together with our head bows right now. Church, church, do you want to become the greatest you've ever been? Come on to this altar. If you can't kneel, just come to these pews up front. Those from the balcony, those that are in the sanctuary floor, let's bow our heads as we begin this invitation. Lord, I want to be more like you.